Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and you're welcome to the village of mom supporting mom, women supporting women, and really just parents supporting parents at this point. And this week, I am so happy for my friend Danielle Rudy Davis to be joining us. You know, this is one of those true situations where Danielle and I just started chattering on Instagram, one of those people that I would just bounce back and forth with, whether it was about a cute derby hat about Britney Spears, about cheer, doesn't matter. And it's, so it's an Instagram friendship turned normal friendship. And Danielle, I'm so excited for you to actually join me today. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we are true like internet BFFs. Also Derby hats, Britney Spears and cheer are my three muses in life. So, you know, <laughs> obviously that's why we connected over them. <laughs> Which is funny to me because anytime I see Britney Spears news or anytime I see something about cheer, like when I saw that Monica Aldama was going to be on DC, yeah, you were the first person I thought of. I was like, oh my God, she has to know. <laughs> Yes. And I think that you were the first person to tell me. And then um, immediately my business partner, Lindsay, who is obsessed with Dancing with the Stars and Cheer, called me and I was like, girl, I already got the hot tip, but I cannot wait. <laughs> so I obviously, being in radio, I'm a pop culture junkie. It's part of my job to take care of trending news. Actually, I blog the trending news for my entire company across the country. So it's like, I'm always watching it, but I find that a lot of people don't care as much as I do. So to find anybody that cares about any one or couple of topics in pop culture, I get super uh, excited for? Um, I care about all of it. I care. I mean, probably 98% of whatever you're putting out, I care deeply about what I don't know what that says about me. But yes, I'm here for all of the pop culture conversations. I just I, I could talk about it all day long. <laughs> so Danielle, you have, obviously you've got on more of my radar because we do share several mutual friends in general, some that have even been on this podcast, but you have a very popular following at Lou What Wear as an L-O-U What Wear. And how long have you been Lou What Wear now? Uh, well, actually today on the dot is the my ninth anniversary of I mean, I have my Instagram, but I started my blog, Lou What Wear, t nine years ago today. Um, I started it in um, 2011, and it was just kind of an outlet for me to... On okay, so honestly, my first blog was about The Bachelor. I used to write these like anonymous, super snarky recaps of The Bachelor, and that's how I got into blogging. Then I started Lou What Wear. Um, when the Courier Journal style section closed, which is so weird. And then um, obviously it moved, I still have the blog, but it, obviously with the rise of Instagram, um, that's where I really engage the most with my audience and put the most effort into right now, mostly because it's just hard to keep up with all of it. Um, so I've, I've been on Instagram, I guess, since it started, but yeah, I've been at this, I call myself like a granny blogger. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the originals, the original IG. Yes. <laughs> you know, I find myself feeling that way too. When I think about Facebook, I'm like, wait, I've been on Facebook since 2005. I've oh, been on yeah. Twitter since Twitter started. Instagram yes. since Instagram started. Yep. You're right. It's granny status in the social media world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are old school in the social media world. So rewind with me a little bit more. Are you from the Louisville area? Okay. So I have like kind of a, it's yes and no. Um, I was born in Louisville. Um, and my parents, my mom is from Louisville. My father's not, but my parents got divorced when I was, um, three, three or four. And my mom moved to Miami, Florida. And so I grew up in my, I went to school and grew up in Miami, Florida, but I spent a ton of time here in Louisville. Um, in the summers, um, I lived with my grandparents and my dad's in the summers. So I feel like, I am um, from Louisville, but also not from Louisville. And I can't answer, you know, the always important where you went to high school question. So <laughs> we all know if you grew up in this area, it's I feel like we are a southern town that immediately is trying to find some way that we know you. And yes. the easiest way we can narrow it down is where did you go to school? So I grew yep. up in Southern Indiana, right across the bridge, but we're the same way. I mean, if someone says they grew up in a certain town, then they're going to ask you what year did you graduate? And then they're going to try to trace back 
Yes. Do they know from you? And you're typically one to two degrees separation of anybody in the city. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have, you know, the answer to that important question, but I just use my husband. I feel like people need to know which box, you know, where, like what silo they can put you into to start off with too. And so, you know, I, I use my husband went to Ballard and that makes, you know, then people know, okay, we can start this very important name game. <laughs> So you grew up mostly in Florida then, obviously coming yeah. back to Louisville. So did you grow up with brothers and sisters? Um, I'm an only child. I have two stepbrothers, um, but they did not. My step, one stepbrother lived with me in high school, but no, I'm I'm a, an only child, but I'm a weird only child because uh, like I have stepbrothers, but my parents were divorced. So I, I don't fit into that like technical <laughs> only child definition that I feel like gets put on people too. What was it like growing up in Florida in comparison to now living in Kentucky? Oh, it's very different. Um, Miami is just a totally different world than here. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that can be kind of similar, but it is a totally different world. I mean, the biggest thing is um, the amount of diversity and culture in Miami is, I mean, it's it just explodes from everywhere, like every angle. Um but it's it's faster there. Uh, people are exceptionally meaner there. Meaner? That's the one. Yes, that's. I mean, not in, not not in terms of like once you meet people and are with them. But you know, here in Louisville, that's the reason. Honestly, like I love it here so much, and I think why a lot of people immediately are taken with this city um, is that people are so friendly. And so maybe people in Miami aren't mean. That's I said that wrong. But they're. You know, it's kind of, I mean, I'd say that people in Miami are less friendly than they are in New York. Um, you, I like get off the plane in Miami and I'm like, oh, we are not in Kansas anymore. You know, that no one holds a door for you. Like the, those common, um, like friendly courtesies that are so normal and, they are the exception there. Um, but I had a great time growing up in Miami. It's just a totally different world. Uh, and I love going back home to visit. Um, I don't get back as often as I'd like because flying to Miami with three kids is not, it's not cheap. Uh, but uh, it, it was definitely a different world. And I went to the University of Kentucky. And when I came from high school to UK, culture shock was a it was like, it hit me hard. Like, running into a brick wall. So what made you want to go to UK? Was it just to get back closer to your own roots? Um, I went to a really small high school um, and I went like a really small private high school and I wanted to have that big um, state school college experience. I a huge like, you know, basketball, football, sports fanatic. Um, so I wanted to have that experience. A, a lot of people I went to high school with went to smaller schools. Um, so I really wanted that, that, that whole, you know, that you see in the movies kind of college experience. And I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't know anyone. I wanted to, um, kind of find my own way and not necessarily start over. Cause it's not like I was like leaving something behind, but, um, I just wanted to do something totally different and new and kind of challenge myself. And um, and it was nice. My grandparents lived in Louisville. My dad lived in Louisville. So I was close enough that if I needed, you know, somewhere to just get away for a weekend, I could. I, I probably only came home maybe or came to Louisville once or twice a semester. But um, it was nice to have a little bit of a touchstone there. You know, I think I, I also love the idea of the traditional college experience. And that's was one of the things that I wanted to do, too. I didn't go as far, but I think just getting away in any capacity and away from the what you grew up in is just refreshing and something you need to do to gain perspective. So I, I love that you went so far away. And to such a stark contrast to <laughs> Miami, to being a big old wildcat in basketball country. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember we went to the orientation and they were in this, you know, in this big giant meeting hall. And I, this one was like, it really, people will be like, you make, you're making this up. This isn't true. But like, they even said like, you're not allowed to hunt on campus. <laughs> and I was like, wait, excuse me? Like, <laughs> what what who was thinking that you could hunt on campus like that's an issue here and i don't obviously don't think it is or whatever but that was one of the bullet points and i think that one you know they'd moved on quickly past it and i was still 
like questioning it over and over in my head. To be fair, there's a reason they had to say that out loud. Exactly. Someone did something they were not supposed to. Heck, just this past week, I had my neighbor ask me, can I come hunt on your backyard? And he was like, there, I see a bunch of deer back there. And I was like, um, let me get back to you. <laughs> yeah, so that I feel like that was one where, and I had I really struggled. I'm not gonna like, I struggled my first semester at UK, and I um actually applied to the University of Miami and got in and was gonna transfer. And my mom told me I was gonna transfer for my sophomore year, and my mom told me, um, you have to stick it out, you have to finish the year, and so you you should at least make the most of it. You know, at least try and have the best time you can have there. And so I challenged myself that if someone invited me to do something or if there was a party or something that I would just go. And even if I like didn't like it, that I had, was getting out and trying things. And by the end of the semester, I was obsessed with it and loved it and had all these new friends and did not obviously end up going back to, to UM. Were you struggling just because of the culture shock and that you didn't know anybody, like a lonely feeling? Yes, definitely. And I think that it was, there was, again, you know, the same reason why people here want to know where you went to high school so that you have like a commonality. I think I just lacked commonality and it, it, with a lot of people when I first got there and it took me a while to get my footing and um, to feel confident enough and secure enough of myself to not necessarily need like that exact commonality, but to look for other things to connect with people and bond with them about that wasn't necessarily like the same, you know, growing up experience. I remember when at one point I transferred up to IU and it was a far bigger school than what I had been to. Like we're talking 10 times the size pretty much. And I remember calling my mom and being like, mom, you can walk across campus and not see the same person twice. Yeah. And after growing up in a town where I could tell you everyone's parents' names and grandparents' names, I was like, what do I do? And you're right. It takes just finding a group of people, finding one couple of people, something you're interested in, and that makes all the difference in the world to make it feel so much less cold and a vast emptiness of strangers. <laughs> yes, 100%. And I lived in like, I um, lived by myself my freshman year too. So I think that made it a little bit different. I also got put into a dorm where like, I didn't realize that, you know, wasn't the, the cool place to live. So there was like some small challenges there that seems so silly and trivial now. Um, and I am you know, glad that my mom kind of forced my hand on it and was like, you got to suck it up and, you know, make it through. Um, and didn't give me the chance to take the easy way out. So where is that where you met your husband? It is not. Um, a lot of people think so. We were there at the same time and we have some funny things where I'm like, we definitely were at the same party or like we knew a lot of the same people. But um, I actually met him when I moved to Louisville. My um, my roommate, when we moved here, worked with him and we met like really quickly out of college. And the rest is, you know, history. We've been together. I don't know how many years, but we celebrated 10 year anniversary last year. So a, a long time. <laughs> Hey, I'm getting ready. I'm celebrating my 10 year wedding anniversary in November. Congrats. Thank you. I was like, for a second, I was like, wait, when, what, what month is it now You're in 2020? Like, I don't remember. <laughs> Time is a flat circle right now. So, <laughs> Oh my God. That's a perfect definition is a flat circle. It is forever. And it is the fastest at the same yeah. time. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense whatsoever. We are trapped in an alternate dimension right now. <laughs> Every time I'm talking about something, I'm like, it's time is a flat circle. I don't know when that was. I don't know where we are now. It's just. <laughs> I love meeting somebody that meets their husband at like a younger age, because I feel like I have a whole pocket of friends that all got married basically right out of college or so pretty close to, and we're all celebrating like ninth and 10th wedding anniversaries at this point. And then I have a whole group of friends that has been married like three years yeah. and got married much later. So for a while, and I'm sure you probably started having kids before a lot of your friends. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm like the, my, I mean, my son will be 10 in December, which makes me a little, a little weepy. Um, but yeah, and, and I, and I didn't really expect to be like the first one of my friends to have kids. It, it, you know, we got married and I got pregnant really quickly after and it wasn't on my, you know, five-year plan, which is so silly to say now too. Um, but that was hard too, because I have a daughter that's six and another one that's four. And most of my friend's children are 
fall up in line more with my second and third. Um, you know, they're either first or second or kind of in aligned with that. Um, so I, I feel like I kind of got thrown into that too and trying to navigate and figure things out and not really having um, any close friends to share that experience with is you're just kind of out there in the wilderness. <laughs> well, it's really hard. I mean, and that's, again, this is the whole reason why I started this podcast, because I am so fortunate to have a village of mom friends that we're on a mom text all the time. So there's oh, always yeah. someone to ask. And amongst the group of friends, we all have anywhere from two to four children. One of them is a labor and delivery nurse, but the rest of us have had breastfeeding, whether it's C-sections, V-backs, no pain meds, all the pain meds, like you name it, you've got someone to ask. And yes. without having that support system, it is really hard because always asking yourself, like, what do I do? Is this normal? There's no manual. So, I mean, you're right. When you're out there by yourself in the wilderness, it makes a huge difference when you, when you have other parents around you and someone to help you versus Google, because dear God, Google is just going to make you think everything. Oh God. It's yeah. It's going to send you off the deep end. And, and I have the same, I'm lucky enough to have the same kind of thing. We have this amazing group text and actually one of our girlfriends on it right now is pregnant with her second. And, you know, whenever she has a pregnancy complaint or um, random question or, you know, all of them have between two and, or about to be two or three kids. And it's the same kind of thing. But when I had my first, you know, it, it, it was a little bit isolating, honestly, because, and, and honestly, my son is really comfortable around adults now because when, you know, up until he was always kind of the one kid around and we just kind of took him everywhere with us. Um, but it was like, oh yeah, you brought your baby, you know? Like, <laughs> well, because you were probably trying to keep up your social life and yeah. like, you go out to dinner at eight o'clock at night or on a whim, decide to go to the bar at 11 o'clock anymore. That's done. Right. And I mean, we were lucky enough that my, my mother-in-law is like an amazing help and, and she was so clutch and, and our friends always kind of, they like, he was baby. It was like the novelty of like, oh, you have a baby, you know? Um, but <laughs> You know, the whole experience with having my second and third was totally different. Having that community is, it just makes you feel like so much less isolated. Yes. And just to have an outlet because it is so stinking hard. I mean, so now I have three, you have son, daughter, daughter too, don't you? Yes. So I have son, daughter, daughter. I have my son who's seven, my daughter who's five. And then my youngest is 10 months old. It's, it's a lot. I mean, it's like your body reacts differently to every pregnancy, every labor, Um, your body trying to bounce back reacts differently because I found during the third one, at one point, my OB just looked at me and she was like, listen, your body's just kind of angry at you. And you're just going to have to accept that the rest of this pregnancy is going to suck. And I was like, okay, great. And you're like, oh, that's really encouraging. Thanks. How much longer do I have? (laughs) Exactly. She was like, but luckily she's like, I've had three kids. I have three sons. And she was like, I totally understand. It's, it's going to be rough, but we can do it together. I was like, okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. That's super promising. Thanks girl. (laughs) Yeah. But now I love helping other people because it's like, for instance, I have like exclusively breastfed all of my kids. I don't care what anyone does as long as they're happy, happy, but I have a lot of friends who are like that too. I've also had a lot of friends who didn't have the support. Like I have friends that support me in that to ask questions. So I'll reach out to people. I barely know on Instagram, if they post something on their Insta story that they're struggling with something, I immediately message them and I'm like, what are you struggling with? How can I help you? Have you tried this? Did you try this? Because I have that group and maybe some other people don't. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, it is so valuable to just have, I mean, just having someone to ask is honestly half the battle and maybe you don't even need the response. You just need to be able to like put it out into the universe, you know? If not, if nothing else, just to vent. It may not exactly. even be. It may just be to vent how hard it is to be exhausted all the time, or tired, or feeling like you're losing your sense of self in just being a mom. But like your mom, being a mom is a part of who you are, but it's not the only thing that you are. And that in itself is a lot to overcome and figure oh, out. 100%. And I think that people don't talk enough about, especially after you have your first child, that there is like a change in identity of of you kind of having to. I mean, mourn feels like very overdramatic, but just kind of like putting that chapter, like closing that chapter of your life of like, oh, I was able to just, you know, 
get up and or sleep in or get up and run and do something, you know, that those that that period of your life has closed. And and I think people expect the society kind of expects you to just jump in with, you know, dive into motherhood like, you know, like nothing's changed. And I think we have to allow people to realize that it's like a huge you know, kind of culture shock to your identity. (laughs) It's a culture shock to your identity because there's nothing else that can happen to you that can change every single thing that you do for the rest of the time. Yeah. Like every single thing that you do and who you are is officially changed. And whether you like it or not, like you, you, you got to do this. (laughs) I remember when I was sitting in the hospital, um, after I had my first, which after I had my first, it was like a 30 hour labor. So I was exhausted, but then I wanted everyone and their mom to come see me. Cause I was like, this is so cool. This is what they're supposed to do. But then I'm not even thinking I need to take a nap. So I remember the first time that everyone left the room, I was sitting there with the baby and I started sobbing because I was like, wait a second. I'm going home tomorrow with the baby. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. Forever starts right now. All the baby showers and the cute little baby bump pictures, like that's all you're focusing that's on. Done. But then mm-hmm. it's like, hold on a second. This is literally something that is forever. I will forever be this child's mother. And I don't know what to do. Yeah. And they're like, you're like, wait, you're going to send me home with this by myself? Like you're trusting me to we had all these people here that are helping and now you're going to let me just go home with it. Why aren't you coming with me? (laughs) Exactly. I'm sleep deprived. My body is, is recovering. And that's one of the hardest parts because again, something that not enough people tell you about, it's just like, Oh, you have a baby, you go from the hospital and you're good. No, you're healing your body from the inside out. Well, and I've had three C-sections. Oh my God. Um, my first was an emergency. My son, um, had the cord wrapped around his neck and, and even that like process, you know, it's, (laughs) I, I thought I was in labor and I called and my OB was like, no, you're not in labor. And I was like, I don't know how this thing works. Like, you don't know what, what it feels like. You've never been there before. And I'm like, well, this doesn't feel right. And like, my mom was there and she's like, I think you should maybe go in. And then you go in and they're so judgy. They're like, you're not having this baby. And thankfully, like I did go in because they were like, oh, wait, you actually are having this baby in 30 minutes. Um, and and I think honestly, like, you know, it's so cheesy to say like God has a plan, but I don't think I was cut out for like a 30 hour labor. You know, I just that I think God knew that I, I didn't have that in me. Um, so this kind of worked out better for me, but I don't think people talk about enough. You know, you're expected to have a C-section and then you're supposed to be, you know, back at your fighting weight in five minutes. And I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty serious surgery when you, when that happens. And, um, your entire abdomen is cut open. Yeah. Sat on a table next to all your insides are sat on a graphic, but they just sit them on a table next to you. Like all of your ab muscles are literally ripped apart and you're supposed to put it back together again in six, six to eight weeks. Yeah. And you're supposed to look great. And I will say, I'm not like, I'm not the best, uh, example for any of this, like, I, the insecurity, especially like when having my first, when all my friends still looked like a million bucks, like I started like running probably like, I mean, you're supposed to wait six weeks. I waited probably three. So, I mean, I just was like, so insecure about the whole thing of being like, I need to be back to myself. Um, my friends make fun of me about it and, you know, joke about it now, but I would probably shouldn't have pushed myself to that. But I don't think society, I feel like it, and obviously in the 10 years, we've been a little bit more forgiving of people and come to really allow a little bit more, not necessarily as much as what people deserve, certainly. But I put so much pressure on myself to be like, okay, well now I have to be back to old Danielle and I just have this baby now too. But like, I need to look like a million bucks and be back at work and still do like try and have fun. It's just, it's a lot. (laughs) It's, it's a whole lot. And I mean, after baby three, I mean, I was, I've basically been in quarantine for 10 months because I got back from maternity leave and on maternity leave, one of my other kids, of course, had RSV and croup, which is insanely dangerous to a newborn. So we had to like cancel Thanksgiving and basically cancel part of Christmas because of other illnesses. And then I worked for less than two months and then we went into lockdown again. And so it is, I keep telling my husband, and again, these are these melodramatic moments in the middle of the night when I'm getting woken up by a screaming child and I'm just exhausted. And I'm like, where is my existence? I don't feel any shred of my former self. And I do feel like it's a grieving process in a way. My pediatrician pointed that out to me of all people, but it is true because you're so stuck on, here's what I was and this is what I am. 
and the acceptance takes a long time. And I'm like, it's been 10 months in a pandemic. Like, yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's, and I think we put, put so much of like other people's expectations on ourselves or like society's obvious old ladies at the grocery stores expectations of ourselves, you know, like all that judgment of, of what I'm supposed to be. And instead of just being like, Oh crap, like I'm kind of in it and I just need to give myself a little bit break and I may get there. I may not, but I don't know. I just, I think that we can get women as women um, can get kind of weighed down by that. I was talking to one of my uh, friends from high school and uh, she just had her second a month behind me when I had my third. And so her and I talked this weekend, we hadn't talked on the phone in, I don't know, six months at least. And she called me and she was like, girl, I'm the heaviest I've ever been. And I said, me too. And we happen to weigh the exact same amount because neither of us are, we're both, because you're taller. And I mean, yeah. her and I are both about five, seven. So we're not tiny, petite little people. No, we're yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, girl. Sarah, I am the heaviest I've ever been. She was like, but I've I've set myself the smallest goal. And I and she goes, it seems so small and insignificant. She goes, but I know if I can't even accomplish this small goal, I'm never going to get to anything bigger. And ever since she told that to me, I'm like, you know what? I, that's where I get stuck. I get stuck on, I need to lose 30 pounds. Yes. That's too much right now. No, thank you. Yes. So, and I think we all get stuck on like what we're like, what some and like nobody, like I'm, I'm in the same place. I'm like, oh, I, I need to lose like 30 pounds. And I'm like, no, I don't. I really would just like to lose like eight to 10, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I think we set those, like it has to be some big giant goal. And I think the smaller goals honestly are like easier to keep up with too. And I, I always tell this story too. I mean, it's not about like, it's a little bit about the, like the weight side of things too. And just accepting like where you are in the process. But, um, I've told this story a couple of times now I, as part of my job, um, work with photographers a lot, both for my blog and at, at Lemonade. And I was with the, we were shooting headshots for a corporate office. And the photographer was talking about how when she takes a woman's headshot that they're always like, oh, let me see, does my hair look okay? Like, do, do I look stupid? Like, do I look fat? Like, does I, you know, all this stuff. And that when she takes a man's photo and shows it to them that they're like, yeah, or not um, all men, but like most of the older guys, they're like, yeah, that's what my face looks like. You know, that's, that's what I look like. And honestly, I've kind of tried to channel that energy of just being like, yeah, I guess that's what I look like, you know, and not being as, of course, like we all have things we want to improve about ourselves, but being more confident to just be like, yeah, I guess that's what I look like. And I could wish that I looked like a bunch of different things, but this is what, this is what's looking back at me in the mirror. (laughs) You know what? I don't think my husband has ever like been like, let me see that picture. Meanwhile, here, like putting my iPhone on portrait mode and having my mom snap 20 pictures to try to get the perfect family picture. I remember we did this at Easter in the yard this year and she handed it back to me. I was like, Oh my nope, God, you don't have that. Take more, take more. And then I thought to myself, I would never want my daughter who's five to hear me say that. Yeah. So I'm like really trying to be better about setting the best example, even though I try not to put myself down in front of her. But like she got her kindergarten school pictures back and she goes, mom, I smiled so big and I even put my hand on my hip. (laughs) What have I done? Yeah. Like what does this monster have created? (laughs) Yes. Because she sees me dress up for derby season or have to go to red carpet events and wear evening gowns. And so when I got dressed up for something, she loves when I put on these dresses because they're princesses and stuff like that. So she's obsessed with them. And she took over a drawer in my vanity and has it organized by her little eyeshadows in lip glosses and nail polish. She could be best friends with my girl Reese. She's the same way. (laughs) It's so funny. She dresses up all day long in and out of princess PJs to princess dresses. She'll go put on her own lipstick and blush. I'm like, Oh no. I mean, we need to get our girls together because mine don't play with any of their toys. They just like to put on dresses and, and they put on their fancy dresses. They put on costumes. They, they, they do it all. I'm like, my six year old is better at makeup than I am. I mean, she like sneaks it and stuff. And then I comes out and I'm like, excuse me, when did you turn 16? Like, what is this? But yeah, yes, it's hard. It, yes. Actually, I think Reese and Kennedy would get along quite well because that's what she does. She plays dress up all day and then will be in her Barbie dress playing 
um, or play, playing Barbies in a full princess dress, or she's playing spy with her brother as a yeah. full princess who has magic abilities, and that's how she's playing, and it's yeah. absolutely adorable. Um, I mean, I, I'm here for this spy princess uh, crossover event. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what she does. She's like, I'm I'm bulletproof, and I can shoot fire from my hands and ice from my hands, and I can fly. I'm like, you're right. You definitely can. <laughs> so you mentioned lemonade, which I realize I, I know what that means, but most people don't know. Sorry, what that yeah. Means. So <laughs> take me back to your career. So we know that you're a an amazing mom of three. You started as a younger mom and one of the first of your friends. But meanwhile, you when did you start your own PR firm? So I, um, Lindsay and I started our business three years ago. We started in 2017. Um, we, I had worked for the same person for almost 10 years in two different agency capacities. Um, and my business partner, Lindsay and I started Lemonade after we worked together for about five or six years and kind of the crowning achievement or, or what we're best known for in terms of our careers was we worked on the um, planning and execution of the memorial for Muhammad Ali. I started working on that when I was 24 years old, maybe started writing the plan for it. Um, And in 2009 is when we started working on it. I started working on it. Um, And Lindsay and I worked together on that. We handled, I mean, I helped from start to finish, but our biggest thing that she and I worked on was all the media for the event. Um, one of the you know biggest compliments, which seems weird of my career is when we worked with all these national media and they said, so where are you guys based? Are you in LA? Are you in Chicago? Are you in New York? And we're like, no, we, we live here. And, and you know, this is, they thought that we were some, you know, that we at least had pulled it off in a way that was reminiscent of a, of a bigger, larger agency. And it was really this kind of ragtag group. And, you know, after that happened, uh, I had kind of big expectations. I'd started working on this for almost 10 years. I had big expectations of what, of the recognition of, um, of what my career would do afterwards. And honestly, none of that happened. It was, um, exceptionally disappointing. And, and it was, it took a lot to kind of work through, but, um, I was like, well, if if I'm going to do this, I need to do it for myself. If I want, you know, I I have to be, I have to stop letting old white guys, frankly, dictate what my career is. Mm -hmm. And, um, I want to dictate my career for myself and I want to work with people I want to work with. And if I'm not going to be you know, making tons of money or getting tons of recognition, I certainly at least want to be doing what I want to do and having a schedule that allows me to live my life and have some sort of joy in it as well. Um, and so, you know, we kind of, after it was basically almost exactly a year after that memorial, we went out on our own. We said, we'll give it a year, um, see what we do. You know, if it, if it fails in a year, then we can go both go get other jobs, you know, we're not gonna have some giant hole in our resume. And here we are three years later, still kicking it. <laughs> I So you went to college for PR? Um, I actually went to college for broadcast journalism. I wanted to be a um, sports producer. I wanted to do like in-game sports producing, but that did, obviously did not work out for me. <laughs> I love that you did that. That's awesome. Yeah, I like interned at a uh, TV station in Miami for two or three summers. And that's really what I wanted to do. But I also lacked the uh, willingness to move to like a small town and start my career. So, you know, you have to realize what you are and are not cut out for. And so that's one of the things about media that I try to tell people when I go to different colleges or high schools and talk about media in general is that typically in the media world, I don't care if you're in radio or, or TV, you have to bounce around markets a lot. And typically that means you have to go to a tiny little market somewhere and then work your way up because you have to get your foot in the door. You have to start getting some of those accolades to your resume. And that's hard, especially Mm -hmm. if you're getting married and having children. And in the media world, there's a lot of people that don't get married and have children until much later because they spend all their 20s bouncing around the country. I'm one of those weirdos that I got an internship at the radio cluster that I work for after my freshman year of college, when I came home for the summer and they hired me before my junior year of college. And I moved back and finished up at U of L so that I could work full time and go to school full time. My last two years, I still graduated in four years and everything, but I was working full time too. So 
I've been working full time since I was 20. That's crazy. I didn't realize that. I still have like that imposter syndrome of I'm like, am I too, am I too young? Like, am I, and then you, I have to realize like, no, I have the experience. I had, we did like an RFP kind of process and had to talk about our experience. And sometimes I forget like some of the stuff we've worked on and, and men are so good to about singing their own praises. I, I have had, you know, colleagues and bosses and I'm like, sometimes it can be a little bit, you know, if you're like, okay, enough guys, but women need to kind of channel some of that inner pride a little bit more to be like, no, I I've done this and I deserve this and I'm good at my job. And, um, I feel like we always feel, you know, that we should act inferior or meek and you're like, no, I, I did this and I'm good at it. And like, sit down and listen kind of. <laughs> yeah. But you're hundred percent right. Like sometimes you end up questioning your self-worth and then it's like, no, I am good at my job. Yeah. <laughs> and I do have the experience for you to trust my opinion or listen to me, trust me, et cetera. So, I mean, I get stuck in that all the time and I was never the one that was like, I am woman, hear me roar. Um, and I think it's the more common experience. I don't think most, you know, women, I think most women probably at their core are probably a feminist. They just don't realize it yet. I didn't really Really imagine myself in that space either until you kind of get pushed to the brink of it or you're you're just kind of hit in the face with like how many times that you can be um like belittled in a really like passive aggressive manner or looked over um for promotions for mm. praise like whatever that is and I think that I think what happens is we finally get to the point where you're like okay, there's no reason, like, I've done all this stuff, there's no reason that you should not be showing me the respect I so rightfully deserve. Yes, and I mean, I, I've seen all these articles coming out, especially in 2020, because all of a sudden the working mom, if she doesn't have schools open or her daycare facility isn't open or her babysitter is high risk or something, it's, wait a second, how the the working mother is being more effective because now we're supposed to do it all at the same time. Girl, this is a, you don't want to get me started on this one. I go down into like a handmaid's tale rabbit hole on this whole like working mom school thing where we're just expected to do 8,000 different things. I mean, that's the really like going to be, I think the biggest fallout from this is the amount of women who are practically forced out of the workforce because they're unable to have any sort of childcare or um, support and are supposed to maintain, you know, the same standards of work that they had before when they had a child in school or a daycare that functioned. I mean, this is one I can get on a rabbit hole. About. Well, and you're hundred percent right because I, that's what I keep telling people when you're a working mom, traditionally you go to work and you work and you come home and you mom. And sometimes if your kids are sick, yeah, you got to put your job on hold and you come home and you take care of your kiddos and you go on vacation and you drop work. Other times like Derby week, for instance, you're working your butt off and right. work that week, but there's only a hundred percent. You can't get more than that. Yeah. You can't create more time. It's impossible. So now you're supposed to do all of it at the same time. And I have found myself, I have mom guilt while sitting at home with my kids. Because even yeah. right now, I, now to, just to fast forward to you, I live in a multi-generational home. We built a house and my parents live here as well. Oh and gosh, it, it, it allowed them to be able to retire. So I am insanely fortunate that I have my parents here to help me. And my husband goes to work. My parents help me with virtual learning, but like I can hear my mom taking care of the baby while helping my daughter with school. And in the back of my mind, I'm paying attention to them to make sure I don't need to go help them. Right. Bad that I'm, that they have to do that while I'm sitting here podcasting with you even like the mom doesn't actually stop just because I'm sitting here. No. I mean, I felt it like that whole time. I mean, when we were, you know, just stuck inside and think I'm exceptionally fortunate that I have, I own my own business. My husband works somewhere where he has the flexibility to, you know, work from home and he used to travel a lot. He does obviously isn't doing that as much, but we were both able to be there, but we still had to be quote unquote on for work and, you know, zooming and like, you know, I have a preschool age child and she's bored. And I mean, it's just, you know, and you lose track of time so quickly. Um, it's, I mean, I had like so many times just mental breaks where I'm like, I'm going to have to go walk around the block and, and just having to come to terms with like just failing on certain things or just dropping the ball, which is really hard for someone who's super type a, like oh my God, a people pleaser, you know, like, like I, 
just described me to a T. I am super type A. I am 100% a people pleaser. I don't accept less than an A. Like, that's not who I am. But it's, you're right, when you're at home, sometimes you have to. How can you be the best mom and the best worker at the same time? It's just impossible. And be a teacher <laughs> or not yeah, a-, be a teacher. I mean, um, I mean, that was the one I really struggled with a lot. And I'm exceptionally blessed to have my children are back in school. They go to a small um, Catholic school. So they are back in session. Knock on wood. I mean, I know we're probably going to have to do a lot of NTIs at some point soon. But um, but my daughter, it was in kindergarten and I can help my son. You know, I can read a science book and try and like, you know, his textbook and try and figure out the answers or help him understand things. I certainly don't know how to teach someone how to read. Like that's far out of my like skill set. And all she wanted to do was learn how to read. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to do teach phonics to you. I don't know. You know, that, that level of teaching is a totally, it's totally different than just trying to help someone figure out a problem. I was, I have my parents, well, my dad specifically is high risk, very high risk. And so we had to make the decision to do virtual learning for the kids. And when we made that decision, I cried almost every day over it at some point, because you're right. I have a first grader and I have a daughter starting kindergarten. Yeah. And I was like, how is she going to get this experience, this foundation for her entire education of reading and math and writing and spelling? Like, how is she going to do this? And the first day of school, I called the pediatrician and she talked me down and luckily the teachers have been stunning in the way that our school system has handled virtual learning. I couldn't ask for a better experience with it. They are with, yes, I'm keeping, I'm their personal assistance for all their emails. <laughs> yes, for all the Zooms, all the meeting codes. So I have file folders for both of them, like categorized by day and I have everything printed out, everything set in all their little binders so they can even move around the house. But I've seen a massive leap. My kindergartner is now reading and writing and trying to keep up with their brother in first grade. And I mean, they're doing such an amazing job and I've called them and I try to support the teachers because I see people being so negative towards them. And I'm like, they're learning and processing as hard as all of us are in there. It's so hard on them. So, I mean, in the meantime, I'm like, I, the one teacher, she was like, I tried to go one day without forgetting to upload one thing. I'm so sorry. I was like, do not apologize. And I just told her how great of a job. And she was like, can you just send me daily affirmations? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's not like anybody wanted to get into this situation. You know, it's just, it's hard. I mean, we had just got an email the other day, a, a teacher at our school who was older and high rate, like, you know, he's like, I'm not exceptionally high risk, but a kind of high risk. And he retired, but he's also like, I just feel like I wasn't really um, doing your kids a service um, because I didn't, I wasn't as technology, like technologically able to do everything that needs to be done. And that's another thing that kind of just like kind of bummed me out because, you know, he, he was an amazing teacher and a wonderful, and like people loved him. This is an older, you know, like for middle school age, but just realizing that those like little tiny things like not being able to do a Google meet um, or like run a Google classroom is like a a huge part of their job now that nobody ever signed up for. Well, and that's what, that's what I got to the point of. And I was getting so frustrated seeing all the negativity online from people. And I was like, I have to channel this in another way. And so like, I made like a big long list of here's my tips and tricks because Indiana school started before Kentucky. And I was like, if you're doing NTI learning, let me help you. Here's what I found has helped me. But then the other thing, it's like, we can all agree. No one wanted to go back to school like this. Not a single person would have chosen this. So please understand we are all on the same team and all want the same thing. So yeah, I think that the whole everyone wants to be so combative about everything. And at some point we have to each make decisions that are right for our families and for and we need to like it, it you may not agree with it but you know this isn't an, a a human rights issue where we all need to be on the same page. You know if my children's school has made has done an amazing job and and trying to set everything up. Do my kids love wearing a mask all day? No one does. Not. But you know, that was the choice that they made because I'm not going to be able to provide them with the right, like, I don't have the, the means and the like feasibility to do that. And there's people who have to send their kids to like the YMCA to do their virtual learning or like these other pods because 
we're just all being put into positions that we have no idea how to navigate. It is it is the year of no one knows how to navigate this. No one could have predicted this. We are all learning and there is a massive learning curve to every single thing that we're doing. And it just is what it is. And I told someone yesterday, I was like, I hate to reference, oh, I'm glad football's back on because it feels normal. I almost don't like the word normal anymore because it makes me question what is normal anymore? Yeah. Change. I don't know. I don't know the answers to that. So again, because you're type A planner, people pleaser, and especially in your job of being PR, you're trying to predict and anticipate and plan things out. It's so hard to do that right now. I mean, we just got off a call right before this about talking through like a launch for a client and just being like having to walk them through all of the challenges that we could have never imagined and the issues that, you know, just, just trying to do something like simple and good is not easy anymore because you have to anticipate 17 different things that could happen, that may happen, that things could change. And it's like being on like a, like a seesaw all the time. Right. Um, and, and, and it's hard for people that like are really stuck in their, like digging their heels. And I've learned to just be like every day, is something new. So we just going to have to. Every day is something new and every day is going to be something last minute because you can't plan that far in advance. So either you're going to last minute have to change or last minute find out, Oh, you can do it. And yeah. Just accordingly. It is so figure it out. That's why I find you so refreshing on social media. Just because, yes, you are in 100% one of the most well-known influencers in Louisville, but you're insanely down to earth. And I think that's probably why you like pop culture too, because it is an escape from our realities. Yeah. Even though Britney Spears is a real person and cheer is full of real people, but like it's still an escape for us. And so I love how genuine you are online and even when like you're doing certain giveaways or talking about a product you're like this is not all that i'm going to do please don't think that i'm just turning into a walking commercial but this is something really cool that i think you should know about yeah i mean i i i think because i didn't get into it to become a quote unquote influencer like i think that's a a relatively new concept i kind of just like I started a blog because I like to write. Um, and that led me to help promoting my posts like on Instagram. And then I didn't ever really want to talk to the camera. That was something I didn't really feel like doing. And I held out for a while. And then once I did, I I was able to connect with people in a way that felt much more genuine and real to me. And I don't ever want people. I I like pretty things. I like clothes. I like dressing up. I like for my house to be clean (laughs) and orderly. It's never, it is like one day, you know, a week, but I like all that stuff, but I don't want people to ever think that that's, that that should be the norm. And that that's the only, only thing I I I want people to know that my life, I am richly blessed and have like, you know, I'm exceptionally privileged, but that I do have struggles and that it is hard and that I do spend most of my time just driving my kids around to activities or cleaning up crap around my house. (laughs) Like, you know, yeah, I do like dressing up and taking pictures and sharing like products and, but that that's not the only thing. And I think sometimes people put too much worth on that or are really consumed with creating some sort of like perfect image. And I think it ends up putting more pressure on yourself in the end. I like just talking to people. Um, obviously, like we've been chatting and I get to do that, you know, in DMs with, with everyone. I try and answer everyone who DMs me because I want to talk about the same things like that you would DM me about. Um, I love talking about Britney Spears. That's a whole ball of wax. But um, I want it to be more like that I'm you kind of your loud uh, friend that tries everything new because that's kind of just who I am in real life, too. <laughs> And I love that. And that's the whole point. For me, I, I think people need to remember that perception is not necessarily reality. And then at the end of the day, we all should be cognizant of the fact that our social media is a walking digital resume. Yeah. And you're going to want to put your best foot forward. But obviously, that's your best foot forward. That's not the whole picture that you're seeing. So make sure that you are being appropriate. And that's what I tell some, especially college kids and everything. But oh, yeah. at the same time, it's like, that you, there's no way you can think that that's this person's entire life. So when I see real genuine people, that's why 
I'm I'm drawn to you and I think of you because I even know that which pop culture things are specific hot buttons for you. So I'm like, oh, I got to tell her. Um, yes, like anything. I mean, Monica, my queen icon legend, Monica Aldama from Cheer. I mean, my guiding light and all things. Not really, but I do love her so much. I mean, uh, we did that Cheer, this Cheer event right before like the Rona times began. Oh, yeah. I dressed up like Monica and honestly I I was a little bit shocked at how much I once I put like straightened my hair and got into her outfit I was like well I feel like uh I this is a little bit too familiar <laughs> like you know, it could um, be a great Halloween costume for you though I think it might be because my daughter just joined cheerleading and I'm like we are gonna be Monica um but yeah so that would be just, so cute I love honestly, that like, I, when I love something, I like, like I get into, I get really excited about it. And I just like sharing that excitement with people. And yeah, you know, I do make money from it. It is a business and um, I do work with brands and, but I have really truly tried to be like super judicial about the things I take on and work with. And, um, I, I'm not going to be like hawking, you know, fit tummy tea or anything like that because Lord knows my tummy could be a little bit fitter. But, um, but you know, I think some people you can see that it's all kind of smoke and mirrors, and and I want my feed to look pretty, but I also want people to know I'm a real person um, that just like loves television and sports and you know farting around with my friends. <laughs> And I, th I think you portray exactly who you are. And that's why I'm so thankful that you took the time out today to record the podcast with me. I know you and I have been trying to align our schedules for quite some time, but as a fellow working mom of three pop culture junkie journalism realm person, I greatly appreciate your, it's so fun, but you're, you're such a genuine person that I respect, I love following, and I can obviously tell you're a wonderful mother as well. And I really appreciate you coming on today. And never stop being you. And if there's ever something pop culture-wise, please hit me up because I just don't want to annoy people because that the rate at which I consume pop culture media is so much faster than the average bear that I don't want to annoy anyone. So um, um, well, I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug right here, but you should join this Facebook group I started for my blog. It's called um, Blue What Wear Party People. And mostly I just post articles from like E and other things like that and be like, let's discuss. So um you know, anyone else can join as well. We mostly just talk about the Crystal Rogers case, uh, Britney Spears, you know, what's happening on the housewives. It's, it's good people in there. <laughs> um, when I'm up in the middle of the night with my baby, I get bored by just doom scrolling on social media. So I read entertainment weekly and E in the middle of the night and send myself show prep every single day. Like that's literally what I do. Like in the middle of the night, that's what I'm researching and looking at. So <laughs> If you ever need a, a guest correspondent to come on and, you know, or if you just want to do a full episode to talk about the intricacies of cheer or, um, you know, housewives effect on American culture, <laughs> I am, uh, I always volunteer as tribute. <laughs> um, don't you dare volunteer for that because you know, I'm going to be calling. <laughs> I mean, once you, once I get pegged down on a time, I could really like, this is, this is my sweet spot. Just talking about this nonsense. <laughs> Um, I absolutely love that. Danielle Rudy Davis, thank you so much for joining me today. You're absolutely wonderful. And you told me before we started that you didn't like the way your voice sounded, but I need you to know that you actually do have quite a charming voice and you are a great storyteller. So thank you for sharing your story with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Um, I appreciate you so much and all that you do. And you really have the best voice. I'm not, there's no competition there. <laughs>